0: A liturgy of vocation, the shape of worship that has to do with vocation. In in our culture, in our time frame, vocation means something uh, different than it used to mean. So vocation basically means right now like a job that you do that's kind of like you really like that job and it kind of becomes a career for you and you kind of feel like you're good at it and you were kind of made to do something like that. So that's the, that's the idea of vocation, and we're going to be talking about that throughout uh, these next few minutes together. And um, work is a job, and a work is a really important thing for pretty much everybody. Um, I Googled it, and I found out very quickly that we spend about a third of our life working. A third of your life That's a lot of time. And that might explain why, even though I worked at O'Charlie's restaurant uh, like 15 or 13 years ago, I still occasionally have a dream where I'm going into O'Charlie's and I have missed my shifts for months and I'm coming in, I have to talk to the manager and I have no idea what I was thinking and why I missed those shifts. Other times I come in and all I have on is an apron. And I don't realize that till halfway through my shift. Other times I have a dream where I come in and there's like this brand new computer system as there would be and I have no idea how to put anybody's orders in it. So I go and I take all these people's orders and I can't put them in. I could just sit here for a long time and tell you all the different terrible dreams I've had just about that one job. And so for me that tells me that work is important. Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad work dream before. Anybody have a bad work dream? Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you're probably lying. And if you're a student, your work is school. So you ever had a bad school dream, anybody? That should take care of all the rest of the people that didn't raise their hand before, right? So this idea of work is really important to us, and it's really important to God. And so as we look at the scripture together, we're going to see from the Genesis, from the beginning, from the earliest stories ever told about God and work, work. what does that relationship look like? What does vocation look like? So let's, let's take a look at this scripture here together. So in, in uh, verse 15, we come to this place where God has created all this wonderful stuff. He's gone through uh, just making all of these beautiful things for apparently us to enjoy. And man has been made as well. And so in, the, in the, the, the interesting thing about Genesis is we have these two different accounts of creation. One, in, gen, in the first chapter of Genesis, where we see God and he's just like, boom, speaking things into existence. Bam, spinning that thing out, and it's done. But then in Genesis chapters 2, we get this more intimate picture of God, where instead of just speaking things into existence, we see him coming down and digging into the dirt and forming mankind. And then to animate and to bring us to life, he breathes into us. And so we see this beautiful picture of God as creator. And then after this description of this beautiful place that he's created, God picks up man and puts him in the garden. Boop. Right? And that word that phrase puts him in the garden is, um, is like he rests him or places him in the garden. Like the, the idea in my mind is like when I was a kid and I'd make this little setup, you know, and I'd take a little action figure and kind of like place him in there. So I have this really funny idea in my mind of Adam, you know, and God's picking him up and he's like, oh, and he puts him in this garden, right? And, it, and he puts him there for a reason, He doesn't put him there to just lounge around uh, naked, just picking fruit and fruit just like falling into his mouth. Ah. What's it say he puts him in there to do? to work. He puts him there to work. And if any of you are familiar with the story of Genesis, it, and you, you probably are, I mean, like it happens somewhere along the way, even if this was your very first time in church, you probably have heard this story uh, somewhere, seen it on TV, it's just snuck into your brain somehow. So, what we know is that something happens in the garden that's really bad. I read about it, there's this tree, right? In, in verse 17 and you're not supposed to eat this tree. And of course, Adam and his wife Eve, they eat of the tree and it just screws a whole lot of stuff up. And we'll talk about that today. So um, before all that happens, what are we doing? What did God give us to do? He gave us work. What does that mean about work? What does that mean Works what it 's a good thing. Some of us have never felt like that a day in our lives, but that 's the way work was initially intended and so when we think about work we 're also thinking again about that idea of vocation, um, and that there's a calling in our work and that's really important, especially for many of us of a certain generation. we have a certain idea of what this work should look like so This is gonna help us, just to break this down for one second. When God creates the world, as we see here in Genesis, and he creates humankind and he gives them work, what's one word you would describe what creation was like at that moment? One word. I heard good and perfect. Both are probably the most two common ways that we would describe it, but they're two totally different ideas. The idea of goodness And perfection are very two different ideas. In fact, we see God doesn't use the word perfect. The scriptures don't use the word perfect at all. In the book of Genesis, there's no time in which creation has ever been described here as perfect. See, we've got the word good and said, this word uh, tov. And and it means something pleasant, something uh, pleasing or beautiful, but it doesn't mean the same thing as perfect. This Greek word perfect or this Greek idea of perfect means something that doesn't change, something that stays the same. It stays, stagnant. stay with me. This is gonna to come to your neighborhood real quick. So the implication there is that God made something that was good, but it wasn't necessarily perfect. It wasn't necessarily complete. So that means what about our work? That means what about what we have to contribute? That it's meaningful. That it counts for something. That if God made something good, that means it could be what? It could be better. It could be great. It could, be, you could go from good to great. I might write a book called that. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? Somebody beat me? Yeah, I know, I know. So it, it's very different from this idea of, of perfection, This this Greek word that translates to complete or whole or finished. It's a stagnant idea. And so that's not the world of Genesis. That's not the world that we see this Hebrew God Um, talking about and explaining here through the scriptures. And that's a really important idea for us to consider, because that means that when God put this man in this garden to work, that he considered us to be partners with him. I'm going to create it. I'm going to get things going. I'm going to get you going. I'm going to be close by, but I want you to contribute to this situation. I want you to make it better. I made it good, and I told stuff to multiply, and I got it going. So now I'm going to put you in this situation, Oh, put you in the garden, and now it's your turn to start cultivating this and working on this stuff. Um, The the Greek idea is more of one that if something is really important, something is really perfect, we don't have anything to do with it. That this, there, there's this guy named Plato, and he developed this theory a long time ago, 2,500 years ago, and he said if you make something, it's not really that good, and it can never be like of spiritual significance because it's just pointing to this invisible world where it's perfect. So if you make a chair— That's never going to be the best chair because there's this invisible, perfect idea of a chair. And that's what's really important. That idea doesn't come from the scriptures, even though we talk about that as spiritual Christian people. A lot of times that what's down here isn't really important or that significant. And there's just this other invisible reality in the by and by a long time from now. And that's what really matters. But God says, "Nah." when I made everything, and I made it good, and I made it for you to be a part of, that I want you to work. I want you to help make it better. And that was how I intended everything to be. Isn't that interesting? So then this idea of vocation. This idea has changed throughout the years. Right now, the idea of vocation, it goes something like this. Well, I'm really like I'm working this job right now, like I'm working part time at Starbucks and I'm in school, but I'm really just trying to find out like what does God, what is like the exact perfect thing that he designed me to do? And I can go make just the amount of money I need or hopefully like quite a bit more and I'll be able to do that job and it'll be exactly what God made me to do. That's our idea of vocation. That's our idea of work that uh, exists in sort of, especially in like, if you're in between like 18 and 32 or somewhere around there, that's the kind of the idea that you've grown up with. Now, if you're a little bit older than that, maybe if you're a baby boomer or something like that, you got a very different idea of work. Right? It's more like, no, you just work so your kids can have something better than you. And then you have these kids and they're like, oh, I just want to like feel it and get the best thing, and I don't care about retirement and all this stuff, and you're pulling your hair out, right? So there's a lot of different ideas. The Greeks, let's talk about the Greeks one more time. You're like, oh, come on, Jamin, what's with the Greeks? Because they influence a lot of what we think. So the Greeks thought if you worked with your hands, like you're like, you're basically like a slave. You ain't doing nothing important. With the, with the best idea of, they didn't even have the word vocation yet. That's a Renaissance uh, period term. But their idea of that would be like, you didn't have to work you own like some estates and stuff, everybody else worked for you and you like chilled and philosophized in the city, like wearing robes all the time and you had soft hands, right? That was their idea of what, what a really important person would do. If we fast forward a little bit, the Romans who the, who the Jews lived under during the time of Jesus, they had a very similar idea. By the middle ages, the time you know with castles and dragons and knights and stuff like that, uh, there was a similar idea to the Greeks. Somebody was looking at me like, there were not no dragons. All, maybe some of y'all haven't heard me preach before, but I'm, I joke, so I don't really believe some of these things I'm saying. <laughs> and that didn't come out really great either. And I do believe in dragons. So, in the Middle Ages... the idea started to form a vocation and it was like you were called by God. And guess what you were called to do? You were called to get up out of like having a blacksmith or farm as a peasant. And you got to go to a monastery and you got to sit and contemplate for the rest of your life about who God was. And that's where the really like important spiritual stuff happened because you were called by God. So if you were called by God, then that means you had you were able to like leave and eject out of regular life and go just do the really important vocational work of Answering God's call in your life. And then this guy named Martin Luther came around and he just like just threw a bunch of tables over and said, No, nah, this whole Christianity thing, we got a lot of work to do. We got to fix it. We got to change it. And one of the things that happened is this idea of work began to change as well. And this idea developed that. We are, as the New Testament calls us, the priesthood of all believers. So if we're all priests, then what we do is, is spiritual work, right? It matters. Everything that you do matters. And over time, that idea sort of became this thing we, some of you might've heard of before called the Protestant work ethic. But it got further away from this idea of priests and just that we find our identity in our work, that we just find our identity in our work, And that if we work really hard, then that's who we are. Or if we have the right job, if people find out what we're good at and give us that job, that's really what we're trying to do. That's really what's important. What we see in Genesis is this up on the screen here. We see first that God works and that we're made in God's image. God crafts us in his image. And so what do we do? We work. Is there another part to that slide? I can't remember. Yeah. You were made for work. You were called by God. We all have a vocation. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. A vocation doesn't equal a job. Hey, What I mean by that is even though some of us grew up with this idea that you've got to find this perfect thing, this perfect calling, that's not actually what's being talked about in Genesis. Uh, There's a social critic uh, by the name of Zygmunt Bauman, and you could guarantee I messed that pronunciation up, and as he looks at this culture that many of us, not all of us, but probably most of us have come up in and live in and exist in, this was his critique, This this is how he viewed it this idea of vocation and job all perfectly intermingled, it says work as the meaning of life, work as the core axis of everything that counts, as the source of pride, self-esteem, honor, and deference or notoriety, in short, work as vocation, has become the privilege of the few, a distinctive mark of the elite. So if what, what he's saying here is that idea that you can spend your time and you can get it, you can achieve it, this this perfect job for you that fulfills all of your wants and desires about who you think you are. If somebody would just notice how good I am at these things and give me this job because I know that's what I'm meant to do, that's a privilege that very few people in the world would even ever think about or consider. Now, all that to say, I'm not saying you can't think about those things. I think about them, and I want to do something that I'm really good at. But your vocation doesn't equal a job. And even if it did, here's the thing, here's the, here's the catcher. This idea of finding our identity in work, it sort of starts to edge out and replace God. Uh, there is a writer in the Bible, he's a really depressed guy. And he looks at life from a very unspiritual lens. He's like, I only believe in what I can see. And he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And he's looking at things and he's like, if you get all this stuff, if you can do all the things you want to do and and get the jobs you want to get and drink everything you want to drink and eat everything you want to eat, it's still not going to really work out for you. There's a couple of verses in Ecclesiastes I want to share with you where he talks about some of these ideas. So Ecclesiastes uh, 5.18, he says, this is what I've observed to be good. Here's, Here's all that's really there. That is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. That's what the Bible says is your lot in life, just to work under the toilsome years of the toilsome sun for a few years and just to get enough to eat and enough to drink for your life. Let's look at this next one. Ecclesiastes 6.2. God gives some people wealth, possessions and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. He goes on to talk about like, even if you make a bunch of money and you get a bunch of stuff and you want to give it to your children, they might blow it. They might do a bunch of terrible things with your stuff. You won't even get to enjoy it. You're just going to look at it and you won't even be able to sleep at night because you're thinking about protecting all your stuff. So he's saying either way, like if you're a grunt worker, All you've got is to just enjoy your few days and try to like enjoy your food and enjoy your drink and get some time in the shade, and then you're going to die. And then even if you get all the stuff, it's still not going to work out for you. It's still going to be left to other people. Somebody else is going to enjoy it. So even if you get that job, even if you find that perfect thing, Something's going to happen either way, either side of the coin. If you get it, you're going to be constantly let down because still nobody's appreciating you enough. The boss should be giving you another raise. Somebody should be, sh- should be giving you more responsibilities or different kinds of responsibilities or less responsibilities. If you don't get that job and in your mind you're thinking, vocation, this is my calling. Why won't anybody give me this thing that they recognize I'm so good at? You're not going to have a lot of friends because you're going to be depressed all the time. You're going to be hanging out with the dude who wrote Ecclesiastes just talking about toilsome labor under the sun. So what do we do about this idea? Then what do we do about this, this idea about vocation? Let's look back at Genesis. Where did God put you? Where did he put you? He said, well, James and I moved here five years ago. No, I'm, I'm asking you, where did God put you? That's how you know where your vocation is. Your Vocation ain't your job. Your vocation is where does God have you right now? And that's what we have to pay attention to. Our relationships around us, our relationship with the earth. That's what Genesis is a lot about in this part that we're looking at. Our relationship with our friends, our neighbors, our family members. Where did God put you? That's the key to figuring out what are you called by God to do? you might not make money doing it ever a day in your life. Let me tell you about a little bit about my own, my own life and my own quest with vocation. I have three jobs. This is one of them. I'm also a teacher who travels around all over the place and leads workshops, uh, teaching something called arts integration. And um, I'm also an artist. And... People ask me from time to time, like, if you could just do whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? And I'd say, probably something similar to what I'm doing right now. I, I, I would travel less, a lot less, but I like all of these things. Yeah, but what are you called by God to do? I think I'm called to do this stuff that I'm doing. Like I, I, I know that I'm an artist. Because I make art, and I can't stop. But will somebody ever pay me enough? Will somebody ever recognize my raw genius <laughs> and pay me $10,000 for a painting like some of, the, some of the artists I look up to and see? Probably not. Uh, I travel and I teach, and there's just a limit to that if I want to stay married because Becky can't take care of them kids all the time without me, and we have a lot of arguments about that at different times. So, you know, I'm not called to travel full-time. I know that. And then I, I really feel when I'm, when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, when I'm counseling and doing those things with you all, I feel the pleasure of God doing those things. But am I going to hang up all the other stuff? Am I going to find that one perfect scenario? I could try. But as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, it's probably a lot like chasing the wind. So my question for you this morning is where did God put you? If you want to know what your vocation is, what are you called to do? Where did God put you? And you say, well, God put me here, Jamin, and it sucks. It's all messed up. There's thorns and thistles everywhere. I have to earn my living by the sweat of my brow. I got to earn my bread by the sweat of my brow. Y'all thought rappers were the first ones to talk about like bread as economics, but it's right here in Genesis 3, right? God said, hey, you guys ate that tree. You are now, you've lost your innocence, you now have to be responsible for your own decisions about good and evil. You are now experientially able to understand through what you do and don't do and the decisions you make, what's good and what's evil. And that comes with some consequences. And one thing is your work's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be filled with difficulties. There's going to be thorns and thistles for it. And if, even if they're not for you, if you don't do your job well and right, it creates them for other people. So either way, it's going to be tougher. And that's actually the world we live in. So once, if you can get around the idea that, okay, I'm with you, I'm following you, Jamin. God put me here. Okay, here's what's around me. But man, it's, it's all jacked up. What do, what do we do with that? Um, there's, a, there's a group of people in the scriptures that found themselves in that exact situation. They found themselves exiled. They found themselves away from the promised land that God had promised them under the rule of other powers and authorities that were telling them how to live their life, putting restrictions on their life. And in a way, in a way, we all feel like that. In some way, we all feel a little bit like we're in exile, like we've been cast out of the garden, like we've been exiled from where we knew we were supposed to be. That's why we have that feeling about vocation. That's why we have those thoughts there. So let's see what the prophet Jeremiah, as he was hearing from God and inspired by God, had to say to those people who were taken out of where they knew they were supposed to be, their God-given right to be, and put into another place Uh, where things weren't the way they wanted them to be. Where did God put them? This is what it says, Jeremiah 29, chapter, chapter 29, verse 4 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. And give your daughter in marriage. Don't do that part right now here in the United States. Uh, So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. So there's kind of this tension here. There's kind of this tension because um, we have these ideas. Some of them come from the Greeks, some of them come from our home church. Some of them come from just an unidentifiable ethos of culture that we swim in. This idea that if I could just get over here, when I was in high school, you know what I heard all the time? I heard, man, I can't wait to graduate because I'm gonna get out of Memphis. I'm gonna get out of Memphis. And I'm gonna go somewhere where everything's gonna be cool and fly, wonderful. We used to say fly back then, that was still a thing. Um and uh, I'm am t- looking at the teen teenagers right in front of me they're like man that's so oh he's so old school man uh and we thought if we could just get out of there and that's what the israelites were thinking and they wanted to hear about that like they wanted to hear those things like preacher just tell me just tell me right now like I don't got to worry about none of this stuff I do because I prayed a prayer. Jesus paid for my sins. I'm going to go ham out here and then I'm going to be in heaven and everything's going to be good, right? But instead, like ham means like go crazy, like just do, (laughs) they still say that one. Um, But that's not what Jeremiah is encouraging the people to do in exile. He's saying, where did God put you? Where did God put you? That's your job. Your job is where God puts you. What are you neglecting right now in your life? Who are you neglecting right now in your life because you're so fixated on this perfect path that you're you're just convinced God has for you? And He's just like, He's got your life on this rubrics cube. I didn't think about trying to say that word. Rubrics cube. (laughs) How do you say it? No, there's no R. That's what the problem is. I'm thinking like a teacher. There's rubrics in education, there's not in the little thing, it's a Rubrics cube. God doesn't have your life on a Rubik's Cube and he's trying to make you figure out the right combination and then you'll get that one perfect life that that you'll finally actualize your calling for God. It's not your job to manipulate the people around you into giving you the perfect spot in your company or to offer you the job you think is your calling. It's not your calling. What you do from nine to five or whatever times you work, if you work from home or whatever, that's not your calling. What's around you? Who's around you? This is the shape that our lives should take if we want to cultivate a liturgy around vocation is being aware of where is your heart guiding you. You might be telling your spouse or your family member or your friends, like, I'm just working for X. I'm just trying to get to this one place so that we can get a... Um, We can get a house or we can finish our car payment. But what's going to happen when that happens? Where's your heart really leading you to when you're thinking about your work and your vocation? Is it once I get this thing, then I'll be safe? Could be materially safe. Could be that you're safe because now other people will finally recognize what you're worth and what you bring to the table. Our hearts are guiding us a different place than our mind is. That's a lot about what this series is about, is that we might have a lot of ideas, and they might sound really good and really biblical and really smart about why we're working like we're working. But our heart and the shape of it, if we pay attention to it, tells us the real story and tells us why this relationship looks like it does or this one looks like it does. So the prophet Jeremiah, he, he, he faces us with a challenge. And that challenge is, are you going to engage where God puts you? Or are you going to look how to escape as much as possible? So there's this idea then, are you working for the weekend? Are you just working for the re- weekend? And by that, I mean the literal weekend and the figurative weekend. Are you just trying to escape? Are you just working to get enough money so you can go on another vacation or buy the stuff that you think is really going to fulfill you? Uh, That guy um, that I quoted earlier, Bauman, he said, and he said it sarcastically, uh, the only real vocation in America, the only true vocation is that of a consumer. Is that your vocation? Like you're just working to escape to get more stuff to really like feel, try to find that feeling that you're looking for that escapes us according to the writer of Ecclesiastes? Are you going to do that? Or are you going to find a way to engage? You're going to find a way to engage where you are. I want to remind you of something. Our work was always meant to contribute to what God was doing. It was always meant to be, in a sense, redemptive. And I say that in a world post-Christ, post-Jesus, where he came and said, hey, the curse on all this stuff, I'm coming to lift that. I'm coming to reverse the order. I'm coming to redeem things, to to bring things back to their rightful place. And guess what? He said the same thing that God said in Genesis. Maybe that's because he is God. (laughs) God said, this is good. The implication being, work on it and make it even better. And then Jesus comes, he does some work. He does the work of redemption on the cross. He does a redemption of giving us a whole new way of looking at our lives and giving us new teachings, the sermon on the Mount, all of these beautiful, amazing things. And then he's, he dies and resurrects. And then he says, Hey, you know what, what I did, you guys are going to do even better stuff. You're going to do even more stuff. So he's still like, hey, so the, the stuff that's, throw, that's throwing you off, the thorns and the thistles, I'm trying to help you take care of that so you can get back to what I created you to do in the first place. You have my breath in you. I animate you. You're made in my image. So where are you? Where did God put you? You have really important things to do there in the place that God puts you right now. What are you not paying attention to because of that, that dream your heart's drawing you towards? Those things that the writer of the, uh, Jeremiah, whose name is Jeremiah, uh, told them, those dreamers that you encouraged to tickle your ear with those things you want to hear. What are you believing about that that's going to lead you into a place of perpetual Crushed expectations instead of seeing where God puts you and joining in with Him. Uh, Paul, we hadn't talked about Paul today. Let's talk about Paul for a second. Paul said something in a similar way. He said this, look on the screen here in uh, the book of Colossians. He said something similar. He said, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So even when you're doing things that you can't find any significance in, that you're actually working to the Lord in those things, unto the Lord. That they have an amazing significance, even if you're just taking out the trash. Even if you're just making someone's coffee, and you don't even like coffee. You don't even like how coffee smells. Even if you're doing homework for that professor, and you know that professor is so petty, and the homework they're giving you is not, like, really going to help you at all. (laughs) Real petty. I mean... There's a quote in your bulletin... from another uh, theologian, philosopher, social critic of his time, Walter Rauschenbusch. And he, he paints this picture of, of maybe what this idea we're talking about, this idea of vocation could look like. He says, if now we could have faith enough to believe that all human life can be with divine purpose, that God saves not only the soul, but the whole of human life that anything which serves to make men healthy, intelligent, happy, and good is a service to the father of men, that the kingdom of God is not bounded by the church, but includes all human relations, that all professions would be hallowed and receive religious dignity. A man making a shoe or arguing a law case or planting potatoes or teaching school could feel that this was itself a contribution to the welfare of mankind." And indeed, his main contribution to it. He must have read Jeremiah. I, I do want to, as, as we close, give one caveat to, to this idea. Uh, because as Christians, in continuing the work of Christ and redemption in the world, there are jobs that even though God can look on the person doing that job and say, I see you and your work matters. Those jobs shouldn't even exist in the first place. They're wrong. They're unjust. And they break shalom. They break peace and righteousness in the world. And that's not okay. And we shouldn't encourage that in any way, shape, or form. And all of us, in whatever job that we do, in whatever field that we find ourselves in, or if we don't really find ourselves in a field, if we just find ourselves just trying to make it through the day and pay our bills there will be ethical choices that all of us will face. And it's our responsibility to shape the world into the ethic of Christ, into the ethic of a world that can be better. And that's hard to do, and sometimes that's really scary. But... We can look back in our history and find people who made both of those decisions that just said, I'm banking on the fact that I go to church and I'm a Christian. And I'm going to ignore all this stuff in the world. And other people who said, my life, my vocation is to see where God put me and make it better. And they were willing to sacrifice their lives for that. Y'all know I had to say something like that. I just can't get away from those kind of things. I've seen too much. I really have to not remind us of those things. So here's what I want to leave you with. It's on the screen. You have a calling and it may not ever be your job. Adjust accordingly.